Hey y'all, my name is Eric. I'm the lead pastor at Emmanuel and Hookset. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast. Our goal is to be a blessing to everyone who listens as you continue on your journey of faith. It's also our hope that you'll be encouraged to find a church to belong to so you can plug into that congregation and bless others with the gifts and experiences that God has entrusted you with. Well, I hope this podcast is a blessing to you and encourages you to get out there and be the blessing. God bless. Expect Jesus. This is the, this is the series, Expect, Expect Jesus. Two years ago, I was in the throes of depression. Two years ago, I was struggling so significantly that I approached Ron Anstey and I said, Ron, if I don't go away to this counseling retreat, I'll probably be out of the ministry in a year or two or five. I'm just not going to make it. Can we do this? And he said, if you think you need it, go. And I approached my wife and I said, okay, so they have two weeks available. They have the week, Trish, was it the week before or after Thanksgiving? I think it was the week before Thanksgiving, and they had the first week of December. And Kirsten was in and out of the hospital at that time. It was a tough time for us. She had a relapse into her psychosis. My eldest daughter has cerebral palsy. Never walked, has been a wheelchair all of her life. And, and uh, then about, gosh, 10 or so years ago, seven years ago, she... She developed psychosis, auditory hallucinations in some cases, visual hallucinations, and she had a relapse, and it was bad. And it was dark, and some of my depression was circumstantial, some is biological. And uh, her heart rate, she had tachycardia, so her heart rate was incredibly high, and that's why they kept her in the hospital for a week. And we're going through all of this stuff, and I found this place, and I filled all the paperwork out. Anybody ever gone for counseling? Raise your hand. Oh, you don't have to. I'm sorry. <laughs> People are embarrassed about that. Uh, you don't have to raise your hand, but I'm going to raise both hands, because when you need counseling, you need counseling. If you broke your arm and you said, Lord Jesus, please heal my arm, and your arm is still like this, what are you going to do? You're going to go to the doctor. Right, I got a kid, he's 15 years old. Him and Chloe built this obstacle course in our backyard, and they're jumping off of heights that they shouldn't be jumping off of when they were 5 and 10. And, and I remember looking at Nate, and I see him about to jump off this deck, and I'm thinking, I better go rescue him. And then I realize, if I rescue him, I'm going to raise a pansy. And I don't want to do that, right? I mean, you got to let kids hurt themselves in order to grow and, and learn, right? Sometimes they got to learn the hard way. I don't want a, a little pansy for a boy. And so, uh, sorry guys, this is just me. You want to raise your kids the way you raise your kids? You go for it. I want my boy to be a man someday. And so I'm about to be that helicopter parent and rescue him. Oh, don't jump off the deck, Nate. And I'm like, dude, I was jumping out of trees. I broke my arm roller skating down a driveway, cracked my head. Um, I'm still mostly alive, and, and so I just went inside, and I'm like, well, I guess I'll hear the screaming. And, um, but if he didn't, he jumped off, and he broke his arm, right? Um, and I said, Lord Jesus, would you please heal his arm? And I believe God can heal today. Do you believe that? I believe God can miraculously heal if he wants to. Uh, don't ask me for faith healing. I'm not into that. I don't think Benny Hinn is legitimate. But here he is with a broken arm, and I'm like, Lord Jesus, please heal this arm. Real Southern Baptist, Lord Jesus, ah, say heal this arm. And, uh, and it's just flopping around like this. Well, son, we prayed, and you're just going to have to 
weight. So we treat mental illness like that. We treat depression like that. We treat anxiety like that. We pray and we pray and we pray and we pray, and it's not, it's not healed. And then we apply scriptural principles, which I was. Philippians chapter 4 is my favorite passage in scripture pretty much. It's got a lot of competition. But Philippians chapter 4 teaches you how to think. Whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just. Think on these things. There's a little bit more to that list. And if you don't have a biological condition... You can apply these scriptural principles to your life and you can clean up your mind and your thinking. It's amazing because there's power in the word of God and the principles of God. But if you have a biological condition, your brain is broken and you pray and you pray and you apply scriptural principles and your, and your arm is still like this and your brain is still like this, what should you do? Go to your doctor, folks. Go to your doctor. And so I talked to my wife and I'm like, I don't really want to leave you with Kirsten. And she's like, I... Church, look around you. She's like, I got family here. Suzanne will go with me. You need to go, go. And the deal is this. If I went the week before Thanksgiving, which can you believe that's like the worst week to go, right? I was going to get the founder of this counseling ministry, like the founder, Sam. If I went the week of December, I'm sure this other guy is good, but he didn't start it. And I'm thinking, if I'm going to go, I want to get the guy that like created this thing. And so I went down there. I was in an attitude. I had an attitude. Can you imagine? Uh, I'm depressed. I have anxiety and I have an attitude. And I've been pastoring for years. I made it through a lot of years like this. And uh, I, I go down there and I walk in. Now, I don't like the super sweet, spiritual, gushy stuff. You guys know me like that? Like, I walk in the door, and there's Sam and his wife, Anita, and they're like, oh, Eric, we've been expecting you. Oh, we love you. And they wrap me up in a hug, and I'm just like, you gotta be... It was an F word, I'm not gonna stay here, but I was like, oh, no. And then I had to fill out the survey on a scale of one to ten, how much, how close do you feel? And I'm like, three. I'm pastor in a church. You know how hard it is to get up and pastor a church when you're struggling like that? I'm writing sermons every week. And the only thing on my, th- only thing on my mind was this. God, don't let me screw this up. I need to preach your word. I've got to be faithful to your word. Context is king. And that was, my, that was my main goal was be faithful to the text. And I look back now and I see sermons that I preached and I'm just like, wow, that's pretty good. I know where I was in my head while I was preaching Satan's strategies. I know where I was in my head while I was preaching this. That's a miracle of God, guys. The, to the glory of God, he got me through those years because I just wanted to be faithful to his word. And I can't thank him enough for that because I was terrified of screwing this up. So I get down there and I'm like at a three. And uh, he says, well, brother, I'll tell you, by the time you leave, I think you're going to be at, you're going to be a lot closer than that. So, all right. And I, I think I was a bad patient. He said I was a good one because when I filled out my intake paperwork, man, I didn't hold back. That's why I asked the question. If you've been to counseling, have you ever filled out the intake paperwork? And it's asking you, like, personal questions, like stuff you've only shared with your wife and maybe one other friend. Like, you've got to actually write this down. And I'm like, I do not want to do this. I do not want to do this. So we go shopping. 
um, at the Merrimack outlets, and I'm sitting there in the food court, and I send my wife and my kids off doing their thing, and I'm like, all right, this will take me five minutes. I'll get this done. They come back like 15 minutes later. I'm like, yeah, I'm not done yet. And I wrote this thing in detail. I'm like, listen, if I'm going to go to something I don't want to go to, I'm going to go right, and I'm going to work my tail off because I'm not wasting money, and I'm not wasting time. So I filled this thing out like you wouldn't believe, and then I'm sitting there like, have you ever done something you don't want to do? Like, I'm looking at that button that says send, and I'm sitting there going, I do not want to hit this flipping button. And I'm just looking at this button, and I'm just looking at it, it's looking at me. You know what I'm saying? It's got those eyes, and it's just like, send me, send me. And I'm just like, ever close your eyes and do something that you don't want? I'm just like, click. And I'm like, oh, what did I just do? I can't believe I just sent that off. And I'm just, I'm sure, I don't know if I want to go. And she's like, well, you already sent the thing. You might as well go. So, dude, I had to fly down to North Carolina. I had to drive two hours to the place um, in the Blue Mountains. Beautiful, beautiful uh, retreat. They do a lot of minister, counseling and ministry to pastors and, and things. And you're saying, why are you telling this story? Because I didn't expect Jesus to meet me there. I mean, I was going there with some hope. I was going there knowing that I had to get some things fixed and figured out. But I wasn't really going with expectation. I was kind of going with irritation, which had dominated my character. I had no idea. You know when sometimes you're depressed, you think you're fine, and then you talk to your family and you say, so am I cranky? I don't think I'm cranky. And both kids are in the back seat, and they're like, no, you're not cranky at all, Dad. And I'm like, what? What are you talking about? And they said, it was getting bad. I was cranky. So anyways, start the first night. Sam says, uh, we're going to talk about the filling of the Holy Spirit. And I said, well, you should know I'm a Baptist. And he said, okay, that's fine. If I can show you in Scripture, will you at least try? I said, well, I've tried everything else. <laughs> Might as well try this. And his teaching on the Holy Spirit was exactly the same as mine, except his teaching was practice. We're going to get into that in a few minutes. Just hold on. Practice every day. Confess your sin. Ask the Spirit to reveal you, to you any sin that you've missed. That's scriptural. It's in the Psalms, search me, O God. Search me, O oh God. Shine your light on me. Show me areas in my life where I have failed, fallen, and thought out of step with your will. And then pause for a couple of minutes. Listen, if God wants to reveal a sin to you that you've missed, it's not going to take him all day to do it. Don't manufacture sins. Don't make pretend, oh, I'm such a bad guy. Confess the sin you know. Ask him to search you and reveal. Wait a few minutes. If he doesn't, Thank him. And when you confess that sin, you bring it to the foot of the cross and declare that sin paid in full. That penalty has been paid in full by the blood of Jesus. So be remembered no more. That's what the scripture teaches us. And then say, according to Luke chapter 10, Lord, I pray that you would fill me with your Holy Spirit today that I might walk in a way that pleases you. Biblical. So if you all have been waiting for preaching and teaching on the Holy Spirit, there you go. Do it every day. 
Do it every day. And he said, Eric, I'm not talking about emotions here because I know this. You're going to pray that, you're not going to feel anything. And a lot of people, and I've said this many, 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 many times, faith over feelings, a lot of people use feelings to indicate their faith when it's faith over feelings all the time. If you don't feel the Holy Spirit, but you have prayed that promise, He has indwelt you already as a believer in Christ, and if you have asked Him to fill you, He has filled you whether you feel it or not. Now go about your day in confidence that the Spirit is with you. That was my first lesson. I'm like, all right, fine, I can do that. Um, as we got through the week, I began to understand and realize things that I had already known, and we had some really great discussions. And a lot of it was affirmation and, re- and reminding of things that I knew, but in a fresh and dynamic way. And one of the things that, that I taught on in January, the following year, was, a, was Abba Father. To cement down that God is your Abba Father, He is your Daddy, He loves you. If you're a parent, you should know how much He loves you, or at least have an idea. He's your dad, He's your father. And so when you go to Him, He wants you to come to Him even when you mess up. And I can attest to that. This year has been a, has been a brutal year, but I love it when my kids come to me even when they have messed up, because I love my kids. And so he hammered out that daddy God thing. But the other thing we're going we're to talk about in the next few weeks is hammering out the presence of Jesus in your life. Not the idea of Jesus, the presence of Jesus. Now my hope is over the next four weeks that by the end of this you're going to you're going to be able you're going to be able to recognize and understand and 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 practice the presence of Jesus in your life every day. That is my goal. I want you to get up in the morning and realize that Jesus is there with you. And so let's get into it, shall we? There was a man who preached a message called Mr. Jones Meet the Master. This guy's name is Peter Marshall. He preaches with a Scottish or Irish rolling of the R's, and he was the chaplain of the U.S. Senate during the World War II, tremendous man of God, and and he preached this message, Mr. Jones, Meet the Master, and uh, I remember the first time I read this message, it it struck me so powerfully, and and I'm just going to read a little bit of it for, a little bit of it to you this morning. Can you and I really have communion with Christ as we would with earthly friends? This is a question that this, this preacher was asking, this oil magnate, this oil, big oil dude. And he goes, can, can we know personally, can we know personally that same Jesus whose words are recorded in the New Testament, who walked the dusty trails of Galilee 2,000 years ago? I don't mean can we treasure his words and try to follow his example or imagine him. I mean, is he really alive? Can we actually meet him, commune with him, ask for his help in our everyday affairs? The gospel writers say yes. A host of men and women down through the ages say yes. To say that John Smith, working in a government office, can directly and in full possession of his faculties get into communication with God sounds almost fantastic. This was a sermon that this guy was preaching, and, and man, it hit me so hard. I was in the Good News bookstore back in Londonderry way back in the day, and I walked out of that bookstore. Let me tell you something. I walked out of that bookstore rocked. You know Jesus the way the apostles knew Jesus. That's what we're talking about today. Not a relationship with an idea, not a relationship with a church or a religion, a relationship with the living Christ resurrected 
over 2,000 years ago. Can we know Jesus like that? Again, I, I contend that we can because he, uh, Angel sang that song. Dude, what a perfect song to sing this morning. He's alive. He is alive. He rose from the grave. When we pray to Jesus, we're not praying to an idea. We're praying to a person who can actually hear what we're saying and will respond to us. What do we need to do? We need to practice. We need to practice. And this is one of the main points that I learned while I was away, that, that praying every day. Confess your sin. Ask for revelation of sin and be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's practice. You say, where, where does it teach us to practice in the Bible? Well, there's, there's plenty of places. Uh, Jesus said, um, take up your cross every now and then. Is that not what he said? What did he say? When? Daily, Daily every single day. Sounds like practice to me. He talked about, Lord, give us this day our every now and then bread. What does he say? Give us our daily bread. Sounds like practice to me. We know that Daniel practiced praying. He prayed three times every single day. Listen, spiritual disciplines are enormously valuable to us. They draw us into the presence and the power of God in our lives. Daniel was so... Um, disciplined in his practice of prayer that when he refused to bow down to the king, they knew exactly when to find him praying so they could nail him. I mean, there was no secret. So practice is really important. When you get up in the morning, practice, practice, practice. First Thessalonians Thessalonians chapter 5 says this. He says, says, um, pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. When I was in student ministry as a, as a student, Rick Moore used to teach us that. Ephesians teaches us the same thing. Pray without ceasing. You all know that I've coached football. We won the championship. I love football. Um, when my son was playing, can I tell you something? We practiced. Nate didn't just practice when he got to football practice. He practiced at home with me. We did drills, throwing the ball, doing routes. We looked at the, at the playbook. In three weeks, my son mastered the playbook. So they made him the quarterback, and that year he won MVP. Why? Because he's super athletic. I mean, there is some of that. But he was driven and he practiced and practiced and practiced and practiced. On the way to practice, we were practicing. What's a 722 blast? What's a seven? What, right, we were going through all these things, practicing on our way to practice. And what happens is you can become a spiritual MVP, folks. Build these disciplines into your life. Practice the presence of God. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, he reminds us that As he was teaching the uh, nation of Israel these commandments, he he told them that that he wanted them to teach their children also. He wanted them to have these things written on their heart. Diligently teach your children and and talk talk of them, the commandments of God, when you sit down in your house. Talk of the word of God when you when you walk in the way. Talk 
of the things in the Word of God when you lie down and talk of the things of God when you rise up. Does it sound like practice to you? Practice. I remember when I came back to Emmanuel and, and, and Pastor Cloud had called me to come back and I came back and I was working a job and he's, I had to continue to work and, and we weren't making a lot of money back then and we couldn't afford to get a, a playhouse for my kids or anything and, and somebody said, hey, I saw this, this awesome, and it was, when I say playhouse, I mean it's like this cabin <laughs> made out of wood. The guy says, I found this, the guy's trying to sell it, you want me to go back? I'm like, sure, he goes back, the guy gave it to us for free. So I didn't have to build it which is a huge plus. I mean, I'm, I like building things, but I didn't have to buy it. I didn't have to pick it up. And I didn't have to set it up when the guy came back with it. He put it in my backyard, set it all up. Practice, I told my kids, Jesus loves you. Do you know God provided this for you? How awesome is that? God loves you guys enough to give you this playhouse. I didn't buy it. I didn't do anything for it. He just gave it to you. Practice teaching your kids to look for the blessings of God every day, everywhere they go. When they're lying down, when they're rising up, when they're walking in the way, when they're sitting. Talk about the word of God, the things of God. Practice, practice, practice. We're going to go to Luke chapter 2 now. Luke chapter 2, verse number 1. We're going to read through kind of quickly. This is the Christmas story. <clears throat> and it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census first took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth to Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem because he was of the house and lineage of David. This is Mary's betrothed. They're there, it's a little stronger contract than a fiancé, right? The, uh, the betrothal gifts have been given, and they're, they are locked together. They just have not consummated the marriage yet, right? That's coming later. So she's still a virgin. Very important to understand that. To be re- registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was while they were there. The days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now... There were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. And the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For there is born to you in this uh, this day in the city of David, that's Bethlehem, a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You You will find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes in a manger." And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace and goodwill toward men. So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to each other, Let's go up now to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning the Christ. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told of them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying, praising God for all the things they had heard and seen as it was told to them. Dude, they were the first evangelists. They're going out, spreading the good news. Man, these angels came to us. They told us that the Messiah has come. It was amazing. You're not going to believe it. It's like somebody trying to tell you about a UFO today. 
I mean, this was outlandish. It was, it was well, we, we might want to just go here, right? It was, uh, it was extraordinary, right? I mean, they met angels of God. They saw Jesus in the flesh. They bowed down and they worshiped him. And they left and they spread this rumor everywhere. We later find out what happened with Mary and Joseph and Jesus. And why wasn't Jesus popular when he was in Nazareth kind of growing up and stuff? What happened? Because they ran away. So when they came back, he was an unknown. As I was preparing this series, I was taken back to the first coming of Jesus. His birth was extraordinary. His birth was filled with prophecy, by the way. Where he was born was prophesied in Micah. But you, Bethlehem, Ephraim, I'm not going to say that. Though you are little among thousands in Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me, the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from old, from everlasting. That's where we know he's God, from everlasting. Not just from old, but from everlasting. Jesus is eternal. His incarnation was not his beginning. Do you understand what I'm saying? Jesus is God wrapped in human flesh in the womb of Mary. All God, all man, from everlasting. That was the prophecy of where he would be born, and then the prophecy of to whom he would be born is in Isaiah, 700 years before he was born. Therefore, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. So here we see this extraordinary birth, prophecies fulfilled at his birth. It was amazing, and, and it's pretty obvious you can see God, right, when, when things are extraordinary. When I was four years old, my brother Tracy was, uh, I don't know, he was like, eight or nine, and we were on a swing set, you know, one of those side uh, seats that face each other, the old people swings? This was, this was made out of iron, like that stamped metal at an old campground, and Tracy climbed up on the back of the chair, like on the chair back, and, and, and grabbed a hold of those things, and I grabbed up, I, I climbed up on the other side, and we had that thing humming. And I was four years old, and now I'm looking at four-year-olds, and I'm like, what was I thinking? I was four. My brain wasn't fully developed yet. And so Tracy, my big brother, uh, I just saw him at Thanksgiving. He's doing great. He let go, and he's balancing. And he says, Eric, don't do this. And I'm like, and you know, it took me till I was like in my 20s to realize that I'm kind of competitive. I had no idea I was competitive, but now looking back on my life, I see it probably began here. You can't tell me not to do this. So I let go. Because if you can do it, I can do it. And I fell off, and the, and the swing came up and cracked me in the chin. I trimmed my beard to the scar. And then it came back and cracked me on top of the head, and I had a tongue with teeth mark. I bit through my tongue to the bottom layer. So I'm laying there, and my tongue is all gashed up and bloody, and it still bothers me to this day every now and then. Uh, and it, it gave me a skull fracture. Like I cracked my skull open, head wounds bleed. Uh, I saw a guy on the side of the highway that was riding a motorcycle without a helmet. He went off and hit the, hit the um, underpass, right, uh, the, the cement wall, and he had a hole in his head. Head wounds bleed different, I'm just going to say. So I was blood all over the place, and Tracy was like, probably ran. I don't remember what Tracy did. No one Tracy probably ran away. And I remember I'm laying there. And I see up this hill, the dirt hill that came down to the playground, my sister Lita coming down the hill with this guy who I didn't know, I didn't recognize him. And he came down and he picked me up. And he said, uh, take me to your campsite. And so my sister, she's 10 or 11, 
and she's leading him through the woods. Anybody been camping? Very well laid out, right? So she's taking him through the woods to the campsite, but he's actually leading her. To this day, she's like, I was, I was almost running to keep up with him, and I'm supposed to be taking him to the campsite. So he leads her to the campsite, and he walks on the campsite, and there's my mother, and, and he said, your son's been hurt. Uh, but he's going to be okay. Take him to the hospital. And hands me off to my mother. Blood gushing everywhere. And then my dad comes out of the tent and he sees me in my mother's arms and it's like, what just happened? So they throw me in the back of the Plymouth, or no, I was sitting on my mom's lap in the Plymouth, big green car, and they drive me to uh, Lebanon Hospital. What's that called, babe? The worst hospital on the face of the planet. Where they proceed, because I'm freaking out, to give me sleeping medication with a massive head injury. And then they're like, yeah, we're not going to deal with this. Take him to Dartmouth. So they took me up to Dartmouth, and uh, they stitched me up. And they couldn't, you know you can't stitch the tongue, or at least they didn't back then. And the story, the, the, the story is this, right? So extraordinary things happen. Do they happen? Extraordinary, miraculous things happen. That was an angel of the Lord that saved my life that day. There's no doubt. No one knew him. No one recognized him. He came out of nowhere, gave me to my parents, said he's going to be okay. And then he disappeared. No one saw him again. They searched for him. They gave his description out. The camp owner that knew everybody by sight had no idea who this guy was, never came back. He just did his job and went away. And I was supposed to be in the hospital for six weeks and suffer from uh, migraines and different things for the rest of my life. And I was out of the hospital in three days. Three days. Miraculous. Extraordinary. It's easy to see God, isn't it, in the extraordinary days? Extraordinary times? Who doesn't love that? I told that story to my wife when she was my girlfriend when we were 16. I'm like, hey, I bet an angel. I mean, who wouldn't tell that story? It's a cool story. And then the end of the story is I had to wear a football helmet every day anytime I went outside because I had a massive head injury. And uh, we, were, we, we didn't have a lot of money, my family and I, growing up. And so they borrowed a football helmet from a kid up the street who was like four years older than me. So I looked like this big bobblehead doll, like walking around with this giant helmet on. And uh, I'm telling Trisha, who's my wife now, about this. And she goes, wait a sec, wait a second. You were five years old wearing a football helmet? And I'm like, yeah. She's like, did you ever go to Crystal Lake in Londonderry? And I'm like, yeah. Oh, my goodness. I remember a little boy in the water with a helmet on. And I said, why are you wearing a helmet in the water? How are you going to hurt your head in the water? And his big sister came and chased me away. I'm like, I don't remember that. You know when you have repressed memories from things that are really painful? You just repress those things. Let's call Lita. So I called my sister. She's like, I remember that. I'm like, oh my goodness, I'm dating her. 
Our first date was when we were five. <laughs> extraordinary. Come on, it's extraordinary. It's easy to see God when we're going through extraordinary things, but, but what about uh, the rest of this sermon from Mr. Uh, P, uh, from Mr. Jones Meet the Master? He goes on, he says, to expect the presence of God in your life, as I mentioned from Peter, Marshall's sermon, he goes on, he says, but that is precisely what I do mean. We could be standing in the kitchen over a pile of dishes, uh, the student studying for that big test till midnight, the Uber driver looking for fares, I've updated his sermon a little bit, um, through city traffic, the lonely one in the hospital ward can be in direct communion with God. And that is exactly what this imaginative faith involves. Since this is true, do we realize what a tremendous, breath-catching fact this is? Do you realize how significant this is to you? It means that no signal, single event in your life, no single event in your life will ever have to be faced alone. Neither sorrow, nor pain, nor loneliness, joy, laughter, pleasure, fun. It means you need never make any decision without his help, without his guidance. It means the sanctifying of every part of your life. The church rests its unshakable conviction that a fellowship of this kind with a living Lord is possible squarely on the fact of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He is alive. And he doesn't just show up when you have a skull fracture and you're bleeding on a playground. He doesn't just show up when you meet your future wife in the water at Crystal Lake and find out years later. And she brought me to this church and the next miracle happened was I came to Jesus Christ for my, to be my personal savior right here in this church at the other building when I was 17. He shows up in the ordinary things of life. And this is Really, 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 really important. Because most of life, let's face it, I'm watching Nick and Chloe, and they're engaged, and it's so sweet. And, oh, I'm sorry, guy. You, you join my family. You're now Target. Um, Randy's not here, so now it's going to be Nick. Uh, just kidding, buddy. Um, but they're planning their wedding. It's extraordinary. It's fun. Weddings can be really awesome, great time, family, friends, dancing, it's just, it's, it's, it's just a great time in your life. It's extraordinary, and I, I hope that you guys, you and Chloe, will look to see Jesus in, in all of this year leading up to your, to your wedding day, uh, but what about ordinary? You see, life is not just made up of extraordinary moments, is it? Is it? Thank you. Come on, man. This is a Baptist church. Let me hear an amen. Thank you. So, a lot of your life, I hate to break it to you guys, you guys that are young, you're just like, oh, it's just going to be amazing. We're never going to just sit and watch TV because, you know, we're going to be married and special things are going to happen. Sometimes life is just sitting at home watching TV. Like, Trisha and I just went through the whole Born Identity series. Like, we just like watch, not all in one sitting, but we're like, hey, let's watch this. And we just sit on the couch together and hang out. And, you know, other times, extraordinary things happen, usually surrounding something terrible that happened, right? Um, but most of your life is going to be mundane. It's going to be ordinary. And in order to make it extraordinary, 
You need to start seeing Jesus in your ordinary, everyday life. Let's go back to Mary. Who wants to go back to Mary? Let's go back to Mary, John chapter 2. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Now, Jesus is now an adult. And, and both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. And when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, that's Mary, um, son, they have no wine. Uh, Jesus said to her, woman, what does that, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour is not yet come. Now, I want to bring you back. Remember, Mary saw all of these things about Jesus. She was at the temple when they prophesied over him. Right? There's, there's other things that happen, and, and she stored them all up in her heart. Does Mary think Jesus is just your run-of-the-mill oldest son? Absolutely not. So she's like, <laughs> whatever his servant says to you, do it. Uh, whatever he says to you, do it, the servant. And, and there were set six water pots of stone according to the manner of purification of the Jews containing 20 or 30 gallons apiece. Jesus said to them, fill the water pots with water. And when they filled them up to the brim, he said to them, draw some out now, take it to the master of the feast. And they took it. And when the master of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine and didn't know where it came from, but the servants knew who, drew, knew who had drawn the water at new, uh, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, every man at the beginning sets out the good wine. And when the guests have well drunk or are drunk, the inferior comes out. You have kept the good wine until now. This beginning of science Jesus did at Cana of Galilee manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. After this, he went down to Capernaum. He, his mother, his brothers, and his disciples, and they did not stay there many days. Just as an aside, uh, Mary was a virgin when Jesus was born. Then Mary consummated her marriage to Joseph, and she bore sons and daughters. Mary had half-siblings on earth. She didn't remain a virgin. She was married, sort of an ordinary woman, but an amazing woman, and one honored by God. And she believed, you know why Mary's in heaven today? Because she believed in her son. That's why Mary's in heaven today. It's not because she was the mother of God, because she's not the mother of God. She's the mother of the human side of the God-man Jesus. And she's only in heaven today because she trusted in the death, burial, and resurrection of her son, Jesus. And I love what Mary said to the servants, hey, listen to him, whatever he says to do, do it. And that rings down through time. Whatever he says to you, do it. He says, believe on me, and you'll have everlasting life. This is, this is the words of Jesus. So what did Mary know? Season of Advent uh, we, we, we are trying to expect the reality of the present Savior, Savior with us. We want to expect to meet him each and every day because he's already here. He's here with us. When I am going into a leadership meeting with our church team, sometimes our leadership meetings can become contentious. Why? Because one of us sometimes gets in, like in the flesh. And uh, I'm kidding. Uh, all of us are burdened with the flesh. And... Every now and then I know if we're going to go into a meeting that might be contentious, I pull up an empty chair to remind all of us that Jesus is here and he is the head of the church, right? We want to do everything in the light of knowing that Christ is with us as a comfort, as, as, a, as, a, as a joy, and as guidance and instruction. 
So following Jesus' flight to Egypt, he had an ordinary childhood full of learning and growing up just like every other kid. The Bible says he grew in wisdom and he grew in stature. He grew in knowledge and he grew in stature. And here he is at this wedding with his buddies. And um, this is the first miracle of Christ. It's at this ordinary sort of thing. We don't, listen, I'm going to assume that these people were on the poor side of the spectrum. Okay, and, and here's, here's Jesus and his buddies and, and Mary, and they're running out of wine, so Mary goes to him and she's like, hey, um, we're out of wine. She didn't tell him what to do. She's we're out of, here's the problem. So what did Mary know? We sing that song, Mary, did you know that you're a baby boy? She knew. She knew. She knew whom she should turn to. She knew to whom she should turn. I mentioned that a moment ago. She knew who to run to for her salvation. She knew who to run to when she was struggling. She knew who to turn in ordinary circumstances. This is what Mary knew. She knew. What did Mary ask for? What did Mary ask for? She asked for something ordinary. I don't know really what she thought Jesus was going to do. But she asked him. I think sometimes we're, we're living our ordinary lives and, um, and we have ordinary things come up. Maybe you're in a spat with your wife. Maybe you're in a spat with your husband. Maybe your car broke down. Maybe you're at work and you're in a conflict with a coworker or an employer. Or maybe you have a conflict with your employee. Maybe you're a manager. Just ordinary life. Run out of wine. Hey, son. We're out of wine. And Mary not only asked him for something ordinary, she expected and accepted the response of Christ, much like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego when they went into the fiery furnace. If he delivers us, so be it. If he doesn't, he's still Jesus. And I think sometimes what happens with our expectation of this personal Savior, Jesus, our expectation of seeing him, uh, of knowing that he's there with eyes of faith, with spiritual eyes open, I think it's because, well, honestly, we're disappointed in God. We got quiet on that one. You've asked God for something, and he either said no or wait. And you're like, well, I, I thought God was going to miraculously heal my depression. And he didn't. I thought God was going to miraculously heal my broken arm. Actually, my broken arm was this arm, and it did look like this right here. And he, and he didn't. Well, I've been faithful to God all these years, and when my daughter Kirsten was born and almost died, and she was laying there on that hospital table, and they were resuscitating her and intubating her and medicating her and all those things when she was a day old, two days old. And I went home in faith saying, God, I know you have her in your hand. I know I can trust you. And I go home to, see, uh, to grab a shower. It was like Saturday night or Friday night. And, and uh, there were no cell phones back then. So I'm just like, it was terrifying to leave that hospital. We didn't know if she was going to live or die. And I get home and I'm about to jump in the shower and the phone rings and Trish is on the other line. She's a doctor's coming to talk to me. Something's going on. You got to get here. And I hang up the phone and I jump back in the car and race to Elliott Hospital and we get there when the doctor comes in. It was Dr. Goldstein or Dr. Beal. I think it was Goldstein. And he's an amazing neonatologist. And he comes in. And he says, well, um, the babe has developed seizures. 
And so we've put her on Dilantin, uh, and we're going to put her on phenobarbital, and the goal is to wean her off Dilantin before you take her home. More bad news. You, know, I, you, you pray for God to heal, and he doesn't heal. And, and now, when you're going through your ordinary life, and you're like, well, I, I got no reason to expect God to show up. I have no reason to expect God to be here. Because he disappointed you. Nobody wants to say that out loud, do they? Who wants to say that out loud? God disappointed me. Y'all are chickens. I'm sitting here thinking, please don't kill me, Lord. So Job goes through all of his troubles and trials. And at the end of it, God did reward him with double pretty much everything else except for a wife. He didn't want to no, stay with that. Um, This is one of the lessons I learned when I was away. Who are you to judge God? Who are you to be disappointed in God to the point where you stop expecting him to be with you in the ordinary? Who are you? At the end of Job's communication with God, God pulls back the veil. Hey, Job, I've got a few questions for you now. Go ahead and read the book of Job. Go toward the end. The galaxies, the universe, the wind. He talks about the Leviathan. Can you do anything about this, Job? Can you control any of this? Job wisely was silent. Because he had an interaction with God and understood in that moment Who am I to judge God? I was talking to Josh or Brian, I forget which one. Maybe it wasn't even one of them. And he said, um, you wouldn't be the man you are, the pastor you are. You wouldn't have the impact you have if God had not allowed you to go through that trial with Kirsten. And I know this to be true. So then we go to Romans 8 and we see all things work together for good to those that love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. God is so good that even when the evil of the world comes in and wreaks havoc with your life, God is so good when he's in your life, he can take all of that evil and use it for good, confounding the enemy. We need to learn to expect Jesus in the ordinary even when God has disappointed us because we're on our thrones and judging Him, we all need to get off our thrones and respect Him. And we ask, we expect He will do whatever He will do, and we are okay with His response. Mary went to Jesus, hey, son, we ran out of wedding. Uh, We ran out of wine. He's like, what do I, what does your problem have to do with me? And I can just see Jesus. I mean, I, just, I can just see Mary. She's like every mother. She's like, guys, just do whatever he tells you to do. Totally ignores Jesus' answer. Totally ignores him. You just listen to him, do what he tells you to do. And he's like, oh, mom. 
really? And then the father says, your mother's right, Jesus. Listen to her. And water turned to wine. First miracle. Oh, there's so many amazing things about this miracle, but we're running out of time. Um, but th- this idea of water to wine is so symbolic of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Look at it. The, the, the jars of purification, the water of purification turned to wine, representing the blood of Jesus coming down. There's so many things. I don't have time to go there, but it's really really, really awesome. So maybe I'll tell you later, but here it is. Expect Jesus to show up in the ordinary. Playing basketball like this little girl. She's not alone. You know she's not alone. Jesus is on the court. You're sitting there. What are they doing? They're playing video games. Nick and Chloe sitting on the couch yesterday playing Mario, I think, and Chloe yelling at Nick. Get used to it, buddy. Jesus is in the living room with you, hanging out with Trish and I and watching Born Identity. How many of you have been on Zoom calls? Anybody been on a Zoom call, Zoom meeting, Google Meet, you name it? Isn't it awesome? We're all frustrated with it, but Jesus is on the Zoom call with you guys. He's, 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 he's filling gas with you. You're like, oh man, this was so much cheaper a year ago. He's right there. He's right there. You're loading a dishwasher. Trish made a new rule in our house. If you dirty a dish, don't put it in the sink. Put it in the dishwasher. And I'm like, yeah, but it's all the way from here to here. I mean, I almost have to take a whole step. Or in the boardroom. Or wherever you might work. He is in the ordinary. So as we close... The service today. I want you to walk away with this. This is something I've been preaching since I was a kid, 19 years old. It's personal. Jesus is personal. Now, he doesn't always answer our prayers the way we want. You're not always going to crack your head open, almost die, three days come out of the hospital with very minimal side effects. You're not going to always experience these extraordinary things but he's always going to walk with you through them if you know him as your personal Savior. There is no suffering that God has called you to walk through that he has not walked through first or will walk through with you. You're not the only one, by the way. Whatever your suffering is this morning in the sanctuary, you guys online, you're not the only one. Jesus has walked through thousands, if not millions, of people. He's walked through the same trials with them. And he will walk through them with you. And that brings comfort. Sometimes we're called to suffer. Sometimes we're called to suffer. So that our suffering can bring about salvation in someone else's life as they look to the Jesus that is carrying us. I have all heads bowed and eyes closed. Let's take a moment of, of prayer. Let's, let's have some introspection here this morning. Can you spiritually see Jesus in your life? Have you taken the time daily to ask God to forgive you of your sin, to show you areas where you've come out of alignment with him, to fill you with the Spirit 
have you looked with spiritual eyes to see where Jesus is in certain circumstances? Lord, where are you? Our second visit to the hospital with my son, Nate, was probably one of the scariest times of my life. And I've been through a few things, and he was having a, some kind of a seizure type thing, and I had to hold him down, and he was thrashing so hard, I was sore the next day from holding him down while they put the IV in. And there were two big burly security guards, one on the right leg, one on the left leg, and another oversized nurse on his left arm and another nurse putting the IV in, and, and it was terrifying. He thought he was going to die. I didn't think in that moment, Lord, where are you? <laughs> I was just trying to hold him down. I wish I did. On my way home, though, we're going through this, and, and I'm saying, Lord, where were you? Where were you? And last week, two weeks, three weeks ago, Allie gave a testimony how Dawn was Jesus in her life. When she came to her at that moment, and she just needed Jesus. And through Dawn, Jesus revealed himself to her. Well, as I'm driving home, the Lord reminded me that the big burly security guard on Nate's right leg had seen me walking out of the hospital to grab our supplies. And, and he said, hey, Mr. Davis, are you lost? And I'm like, no, nah, I'm just going to get my iPad and chargers and stuff. And, and the Lord said, I was in the guard holding the leg of your boy. I was there with you. I was there with you. Hey, all thanks for listening to this podcast. If you'd like to know more, please go to our website, emmanuelhooksit.com, where you'll find helpful links and resources and where you can contact us directly. That web address again is emmanuelhooksit.com. Bless God, get out there, and be the blessing.